Welcome back to the third episode of Closer Mentality. I'm your host, Julia Mellert. This week, we'll be traveling back to Canada to take a deep dive into one of my favorite sports psychology applications, draft psychology. To do that, we'll need mental performance coach Dr. Cassidy Preston. Preston was introduced to the sports psychology field at the age of 16 when he worked with a professional sports psychologist ahead of the Ontario Hockey League draft. He began his bachelor's degree at York University in psychology. Well, then I really started diving in by 16 that year I worked with a sports psychologist and she was very helpful and very informative, really opened my eyes to it. And then I started, you know, reading more and more books, did all kinds of different courses. And then that's what I eventually um, went to school for. And um, the funny school story was I actually started my undergrad in psychology and was like, ah, don't really like basic psych 101. And I was like, I switched to business. I didn't like that either. <laughs> and I, I ended up in kin and then through kin, it comes back through kinesiology is connected to sports psychology. It's like, oh, this is what I really wanted in the first place. So um, it was a way to kind of get into sports psychology that way. So, um, and then obviously I did 12 years of university <laughs> with, uh, um, with all of that. So I've, I've been learning them for a long time. While pursuing his undergrad, Dr. Preston found his passion for coaching. That path led him to the University of Toronto for graduate school. By the end of my undergrad, I was like, I'm pretty interested in sports psych. And then I went and did my master's at U of T. Um, and it was more, I really looked at the psychology of coaching as well. And so I kind of got more into it there. And then I was doing that while um, completing my master's. And I was still playing competitively. And then I was like, oh, what am I gonna do after my master's? And I was like, well, I might as well do a PhD. That seemed like a pretty handy thing to have. I can't go bad. <laughs> like, so, and, I, and then I was coaching full-time, well, not full-time. I was a head coach of a minor hockey team. Um, and which I, a lot of my research was based on coaching AAA hockey. So it was kind of a, a good um, tandem there. And so then I was doing that well, throughout my doctoral work. As a minor hockey player, Dr. Preston didn't grow up playing in an environment that even knew it needed access to sports psychology professionals. Between the ages of 16 and 21, he played amateur or junior hockey. He used to seek out his teammates in hopes of working through mental issues related to sport performance. Later in my junior career, there's like a couple guys I drove to the rink with. We would talk about confidence and stuff a bit because I was so interested and I knew enough about it. I was like, hey, how are you dealing with confidence? And like try to work with some of my teammates along the way. So I definitely had some conversations, but not but not a lot. Um, like I didn't like there wasn't that's obviously one of the reasons I got into this. There wasn't a lot of guidance with people that have gone through what I'd gone through, like my the sports psychologist I work with was great. But like her background was in tennis, like and she doesn't know anything about the Ontario hockey. Like, you know, she did. She worked with some NHL players and stuff. She was great. Um, but like, you know, I was in a unique time, you know, in my career. And obviously she could relate, but to, to what extent? And, um, and, and as well as then I didn't talk to any other players. Like, you know, and, and so what I do now, we have like some group talks and stuff. So then players get to hear other players going through the same thing. I went through it so I can definitely relate and give that guidance. And, you know, it's, whereas... Um, that wasn't, I didn't have, didn't know of anything like that um, when I was going through it. Dr. Preston currently runs his own private practice called Consistent Elite Performance, which caters to youth and elite athletes as well as businesses. By virtue of his network in hockey, Dr. Preston's firm specializes in hockey, but he says that the mental game can be easily superimposed onto C-level executives. It's, it's a really fun thing to do as well because the, of concepts about our mindset and being present and confident and 
dealing with your emotions are the same regardless of what area you are in life. And so in sport is very obvious, but it's also very practical for business. And especially now as the pandemic's happening, people are stressed and in their own head and frustrated and, and there's, you know, work life challenges and all kinds of challenges in all walks of life. So we do some mental strength then work with businesses and workshops, um, even some one-on-one leadership, uh, work as well. So, you know, it just depends. Like I don't have like a huge network there. So we actually have some other companies that help then, you know, hire me out to them. So some big companies, like we've done general mills and Aritzia was one we did recently. And so some cool, bigger companies. Um, so yeah, so we, so that's, that's kind of what we do right now. And it's something that we're putting more attention into just because the whole sport landscape right now is a little up in the air. So it's good to, to, to branch out a bit. And it's something I've always been interested in and want to do. And so that will probably just continue to grow as, uh, over time. Despite his extensive work in hockey and sports in general, Dr. Preston has found that working with these business owners and executives helps drive his point home more conclusively. I would actually say that's often easier received by, um, you know, an adult, right? You're dealing with the biggest difference is adults versus like teenagers. Um, and so usually adults are like, Hey, give me something they can chew it up. They can uh, apply it a lot. They're a lot more self accountable to a degree most of the time. And, um, and they're going to be more open to like, Hey, how does this apply? This is going to, you know, fit right into my life where sometimes with athletes, sometimes they think they already know it all. They're not sure how it's going to work. They're not as open to it. They're not as self-aware to a degree. Um, but then on the other side, there's tons of athletes that are very into it, you know, all about it right away. So a lot of times it's similar, but sometimes um, some of the athletes, you know, the less mature ones, maybe it's like, there's a bit of a <laughs> warming them up process, uh, that, that is involved. And, uh, that's probably less frequent in the business world. Dr. Preston says it all comes down to maturity, whether the client is an adolescence or has a storied career under his or her belt, the maturity that he sees as facilitating a road to success doesn't have an age. This kind of maturity beyond their years is crucial during a draft year. Yeah. So from our perspective, one of the you know biggest things is that they're confident and they're not worried about what everybody thinks, especially in a draft year where they're like, Oh, am I like, they're really caught up about outcomes a result centered mindset. And therefore they're worried about what other people think. And therefore, you know, their confidence goes up and down and it's tied to what other people think. So it causes all kinds of stress and worry, which is therefore inconsistent performance. Dr. Preston says that the focus is placed on returning the player to the intrinsic motivation of playing the sport they've enjoyed since childhood and tuning out the impact of the scouts. Self-image is also placed at the forefront during a time when posturing for the sake of a potential opportunity may actually result in an adverse reaction. That's what the, the number one area or ways to kind of condense, especially in a draft year where there's, you know, external validation is a huge thing and uh, athletes get very worried about what the scouts think or what the draft or achieving outcomes etc the problem becomes especially when you're performing and playing if your results driven and focused it's gonna you know take away so we're not trying to necessarily decrease how much they want results or driven by results but instead we're trying to decrease their attention on it and really focus on their true why and get connected to like the mastery and the task and the intrinsic joy of the sport itself. With the first pick in the 2020 NBA draft, the Minnesota Timberwolves, the Cincinnati Bengals select Anthony Edwards, Joe Burrow, quarterback, LSU. The psychology behind the professional drafts is steeped in research. The leagues put emphasis on the physical attributes of each potential draftee. But how much impact does the mental game have on finding a team for each player? 
In the National Football League, personality tests like the Wonderlic personnel test are utilized on approximately 300 potential draftees each season. Players like Richard Sherman, a cornerback for the San Francisco 49ers, tweeted in 2020 regarding the Wonderlic that, quote, not many take it seriously because most understand it has little to no bearing on their draft grade. The Wonderlic personnel test has been widely refuted for the impact or lack thereof of its scores on the eventual outcome of the test takers. The test is administered to check a quarterback's fast-paced decision-making and attempts to predict his success in the league. Unfortunately, Dr. Jen Welter, well-known as the first woman coaching intern in the NFL for her work with the Arizona Cardinals, did her 2013 dissertation for her Doctor of Philosophy on the Wonderlic test as a measure of player selection and success in quarterbacks. What her research found was that the Wonderlic was associated with lower quarterback performance in the rookie year and a faster rate of improvement in performance until it plateaus in year four. Despite the Wonderlic testing process becoming synonymous with the physical testing of the NFL Combine, a 2000 study by Peter Sachs concluded that there was blatant misuse of intelligence-based examinations for, quote, selection purposes, and an utter lack of statistical correlation was found between the mentally taxing Wonderlic and success potential in the NFL. This was backed up by a myriad of research specifically on the Wonderlic's probability success throughout the early 2000s. That research didn't even include athletes who had pre-existing chronic injuries and the impact that the constant factor of re-injury had on potential for continued success. That fear of re-injury was very real. <laughs> so I'm like, you know, that's often a big thing. The other fear is like, will I be as good? We, I see that a lot in hockey. They've been off for a month or, or whatever for whatever injuries. And it's like, oh, will I still have it? You know, how, how many steps back will I have? And so, you know, or, or and again, fear of re-injury. So those are kind of like the two common know, issues that we see in helping athletes overcome. If Quinn Gear and Berkowitz's 2007 study that looked at the average amount of quarterback experience it takes to win a Super Bowl stands, it takes nearly six years. If the Wonderlick is consistent, those quarterbacks would have plateaued into obscurity two full years prior. Normally, those first few years are when acute injuries start to take their toll on an athlete's body, and if they're simultaneously trying to peak their skill, a serious injury could throw them into a mental tailspin. Dr. Preston used alpine skier Lindsey Vaughn as an example of reframing mindset post-injury in order to stay at an elite level. Vaughn has broken her right arm, fractured her left knee, broken her left ankle, torn ligaments in her right knee, and broken a bone in her right leg, sustained a concussion, bruised her right shin and her left forearm, hyperextended her right knee, and in 2018, she underwent knee surgery for a torn LCL. Even still, the 36-year-old retired in 2019 with four Women's World Cup championships, three Olympic medals, eight World Championship medals, and is the all-time leader in Women's World Cup race victories with 82. She's like, yeah, like, <laughs> like yeah, like, you got to respect the mountain. Like, it's not like she has no fear. seems like she races with no fear, but it's not like she has none. It's just she understands and respects the mountain and accepts that there's a risk. And that gives her a healthy dose of, like, not going, <laughs> like, disrespecting the mountain and more likely to get hurt. So it's embracing and understanding your sport for what it is. That kind of intrinsic self-awareness and appreciation for sport post-injury is important for continued success, and it can't be quantified on an acuity exam. Some athletes are actually better equipped to handle the pressures of the sport after injury. You're better when you come back. You've taken a mental break, a physical break, you're working on your mental game, you're coming back that much more dialed in and motivated, reconnected to the joy of playing, and you come back flying. It's not just the NFL where cognitive and mental performance-based exams are criticized in their effectiveness. In the NBA, each draftee takes a test administered by the company's sports aptitude. 
Instead of testing reactivity like the Wonderlic, this 30-minute exam tests 10 traits, team identity, mental toughness, awareness, dominance, internal motivation, leadership potential, adaptability, influence, and presence, accepts instruction, and resistance to burnout. Each score falls between 0 and 10. Once the test has been concluded, it's entered into a more than 600-player database, and the score received is compared to a professional player with a similar, quote, mental makeup. Unlike the Wonderlic, these test scores aren't made publicly available, and only 13 of the NBA's 30 teams even rely on the Sports Aptitude exam. Personality tests like the Sports Aptitude test and the Wonderlic are used as benchmarks, but the impact of this score on draft potential from Welter's research is minimal. Dr. Preston says that the only way to truly prove mental toughness doesn't come with a personality exam at a combine. We do try often to assess it, and we do all kinds of reflection questions and assessments, one of the ones we're using a lot is just like, what percentage are you being driven by intrinsic and the joy for the sake of itself versus like, oh, I want to learn, grow and contribute for achievement. And it's like, sometimes athletes are like 90%, I just want to achieve. Like, this is all about, and I'm like, that's concerningly high. Athletes with this kind of results-driven mindset are, as Dr. Preston says, sometimes not even aware of it. Our culture is training us to get this number up. It's all about results, coaches, people. That's all everyone talks about. It's about this. We got to achieve more. You got to get the results. This is a must win game, all this kind of stuff. When you first fell in love with the sport, it wasn't about results. You're just playing and learning and enjoying the game for the sake of itself. The kind of intrinsic motivation that it takes to stay consistent in front of scouts and coaches, despite the high pressure conditions, isn't being picked up on the personality tests. Dr. Preston said that when placed with good coaches, even athletes who thrive on extrinsic motivation strategies will end up reconnecting with the game for the sake of the joy they once exuded while playing. Youth athletes who compete for high-pressure positions like the Ontario Hockey League draft are more at risk for self-esteem issues, and 85% of coaches in the 2003 study by Derek Robertson, which focused on collaboration between hockey coaches and sports psychologists, concluded that those coaches saw high-priority need for available resources and team sports psychologists. These coaches also highlighted a want for sports psychologists to address sports psych as it pertained to junior hockey or draft age players. Highlighted topics were healthy coping strategies, the transference of mental skills to areas outside of hockey, communication styles, and gender related issues. As you work on your mental game and become more mentally agile and fit and strong and you have that more certainty in who you are and your intrinsic like we talked about at the beginning, you're going to like your physical skills, you're going to tap into it more. Right? One of the best ways that we assess and understand like the big picture of our performance and our mindset is like, okay, what percentage, how much are you in the flow, trusting, you know, mentally strong, agile in the present or the zone versus not like in your own head, doubting, worrying. And the more an athlete's in the zone, guess what happens? They're more likely to perform at their potential or close to it. And they'll go hand in hand. You're, you know, all oh, half the time I'm in my head, half the time I'm in the flow, then you're probably performing at half of your potential. He says the difference in being able to push an athlete to that flow point comes down to coaching education. He also launched a coaching-specific podcast called Beyond the X's and O's to assist in educating current and future coaches on how to better prep their athletes for continued success. As coaches, the most important thing that you can do is be a great leader, right? It's how you connect and the interpersonal skills. And yet education of coaches is not about that. It's X's and O's. Right? And that's what the podcast name beyond the X's and O's because it's the most meaningful part to coaching. Like how good of a leader and can you connect and are you showing that you care? It's one thing to care. It's another thing to show that you care as a coach. 
right? And um, and so then what we want coaches to learn is just like these soft skills. Consistent Elite Performance has a six-part program for coaches that delves into those skills. The belief that performance success comes at the cost of personal well-being and just how wrong that is. Like it's just a, you know, a faulty belief that's culturally often, that's why a lot of abusive coaching behaviors become accepted and tolerated. Well, but then the truth of the matter is like, the, the true best performance, especially long-term performance, comes from um, you know, taking care of both. And if you truly take care of your well-being, you're in the right mental state, you're actually gonna perform better. And for those who aren't coaches, the Consistent Elite Podcast is another way to get the mental performance topics and mental skills building principles out to the masses. You can check out both of Dr. Preston's podcasts on all podcast platforms and his work on consistenteliteperformance.com. That's all for now on Close Your Mentality. I'm your host, Julia Mellet. See you all next week when I bring on JT Heenan to dive deeper into college coaching and maintaining a positive coaching culture. See you next Wednesday.